Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start It Up podcast. We've got a crucial conversation, so you know it's the weekend. we got a special guest, but let me start off with Jamal. Jamal, how you doing, man? Man, you know I'm doing good, man. <laughs> it's I'm always in this school. <laughs> I, uh, teachers are just as bad in May as the students sometimes, and yes, I'm getting itchy, too. Uh, joining us also is Rebecca Chambers. Rebecca, I, I'll start off by saying she's been a friend, even though we've never met. Um, but there's just some teachers that find one another because they do cool stuff and they meet. So actually, yeah, Rebecca, let me have you do your intro. Where, where are you from and what do you do? Uh, well, thank you. I'm honored for you to call me a friend because you're one of my edu, edu heroes. Um, <laughs> but I am, I am a high school teacher uh, in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Um, I'm very excited for the end of school, but I've been listening to you guys talk about the end of school, but we don't finish till the end of June. The end so, of June? Yes. Okay. Wow. Yes. We start later than you guys do. Right. We start after after Labor Day. So, mm -hmm. okay. um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you guys a bit jealous, but, uh, but we're close <laughs> as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to dive right in because uh, Rebecca... Uh, and Jamal, we all have three, you know something in common that we we like to do alternative things with our students. We don't necessarily, you know, we we can do the traditional at times, but we like to enhance it. And Rebecca's work, and you can you can get into some of the things that you've done and, and some of the things you've seen. But we were talking off air, and what we really want to structure this around is how and why does it sometimes have to be an alternative path to the I'm using air quotes alternative kids. This, the students that have like, okay, we'll try anything now. And then they have alternative paths. Uh, Rebecca, lead us off. Why does this have to happen and how could it change? Well, I think ultimately anything in education, why does it have to happen? It's because that's the way it's been. Um, and so, you know, I've been kind of on this journey of changing uh, the way that I've, I'm doing things. And I, I do hear now in the hallways, oh, I hear that. I hear that your class is more like an alternative class, which I, I'm, uh, I love hearing that. Um, but it, it doesn't, in my opinion, it doesn't need to be uh, those at-risk students that only have the opportunity to go into an alternative class. I think we'd actually uh, move away from having as many at-risk kids uh, if we had more options in, in mainstream, because uh, in where I am, um, generally those who end up <clears throat> in our alternative sites, which there are huge waiting lists for, are those who just, it's sort of the last resort. They just have not been successful at all uh, in mainstream. And if there's so many of them, then why can't we offer that opportunity to them in their home school so they don't have to be uprooted and, uh, and sent somebody, somewhere else? That, that's not to say that there isn't a need for some alternative schools, you know, and we were talking about this, how there are some students who do require to leave the building um, and be in an alternative setting. Uh, but I think that there is a large group of students uh, that are disengaged in school and uh, this model could benefit every type of student um, yeah. that, that wanted to be in that type of a classroom. Yeah, Jamal, you were, before you were a principal, I, you did just that. I remember when you were at the middle school, mm -hmm. you didn't ha you had a traditional class done in an alternative way and the results followed. Could you weigh in on that? So I'm still trying to gather, are you talking about like behavioral um, 
needs or those needs being met and those kids being placed in an alternative school outside of their uh, regular school. I'm just talking about about alternate. Yeah. I'm talking about alternate activities, culture, everything, because it seems as though that sometimes, you know, which came first, does the child not like the school process or does the child school, you know, the process doesn't like the child. I mean, some students aren't meant to sit down and behave quietly. Some kids like to move around. And so, a lot of times the alternative, and again, I'm using my air quotes, the alternative programs are sometimes geared towards behavioral problems, but those behavioral problems go away when you offer them some choice. And I remember yeah. you saw that specifically. Yeah. So I didn't, I, I didn't necessarily have a class that was uh, non-mainstream because, you know, I had an elective class. Um, I had some students in there that were at risk, however, um, but I had a lot of students who were not at risk um, because people were just attracted to to that class and some of the things that we were doing. We had a really an open door policy for those students um, to come in, especially when I started doing, um, you know, concepts of genius hour and their kids really, you know, really wanted to be in there. But I would say, um, I would say the, the, the classes that are set up for, you know, your behavioral issues, um, those are, you know, those are your responses to intervention. Um, I went to an alternative school as, uh, when I was in the fourth grade and I went there and, you know, they had us all mixed in, you know, with high school kids. It, it just really wasn't a good fit, but I, I'll tell you what, once I got out of alternative school, um, it kind of, you know, it kind of set me straight, um, when I got back to the mainstream population. So for me, like leaving, not leaving mainstream and having to go somewhere. It's almost like a jail, so to speak. Yeah. No, it really, it really um, made me realize like, Hey man, like there are a lot of resources where I came from. Yeah. And if I'm going to be, you know, detrimental to, you know, mainstream school, then they're going to put me in a place that's not conducive for success for anyone. As a matter of fact, an alternative school, if you do one wrong thing, they restart your year. Mm. You, you can you can burp in the hallway and you can say, well, that was disrespectful and you won't get out. I didn't get back to mainstream really until I was in the sixth grade and I went in <laughs> when I was in the fourth grade. Well, so, like, yeah, you make a really good point though because like in some ways, I, I guess some people are listening to this and saying, okay, what's your definition of then of alternative school? Right. There, there is the, I, I almost hate to say, you know, under lock and key, prison mm-hmm. style. And then there is the, okay, let's, let's, let's choose some alternatives. And, right. and ironically enough, the kids that usually could get in trouble want those alternatives because mm-hmm. in some cases they're just bored. I remember like Rebecca and I were talking off air. Um, there was, was several years back, but there were some students that, that got the word that you could take some online classes now during your school day because you were in trouble. And mm-hmm. if you were going to be suspended, you could take these online classes. And so, you know, the, there was one class in particular that you could get the year's class done within about two weeks. This is the average student. And so all of a sudden there's some kids like, I want to take that. I don't want to sit in this class for the next three months if I can take it in two weeks. Mm-hmm. So one kid goes to the dean. He says, hey, I want in. And he says, I'm sorry, but you have to be, you know, either facing suspension or, or falling so far behind. This is your last alternative. And he goes, you have 30 seconds to decide whether I'm going to punch you in the mouth. And he goes, and the dean, he says, I can be suspended for this. 
is I don't want to sit in this class anymore. And so the dean was a really pretty guy. He's like, you know what? Good for you. All right, we'll enroll you, but don't tell your friends. Well, of course that got out because the alternative was better. And, and I'm not trying to, I'm not throwing the person under the bus, but that sit and do things wasn't for him. He would rather learn it on his own and watch the video tutorial. So that was an alternative that was kind of treated like the prison kind of style, but at the same time, a different alternative path for them. So let me let me jump in and say this. I think what I'm hearing is there there are two different levels. You have your you have your behavioral, um, you know, things that those kids need, and it seemed like in that situation they had like a online program, which was like an in school alternative before they were going to be transitioned out. And then what I'm what I'm also hearing is that there's there's also a necessity then for students who typically who are not at risk who, you know, are not failing their classes, but they need uh, more. And, I w- and I'll speak to this. When I graduated high school, I said, this was a joke. Like, I wish there was more. And like, I left and there were a lot of skill sets that I did not have. There are a lot of things I'm still learning that I should have learned in high school, especially like when I look at your class, Don. So like, you know, you know as my mind turns, um, I just had a meeting uh, with, uh, a Title One representative uh, from my from my LEA, and the LEA is a local education agency. For those of you listening that don't know, but um, I was talking uh, with her, and I was saying, so you know, talking about Title One funds. Title One funds are typically for um, students who are, I'll say, historically disadvantaged, right? Um, if you come from a neighborhood that doesn't have, you know, a lot of money in it or your free and reduced lunch, those kinds of populations. And what that money does is it supplements and it provides programs for those students, not necessarily behavioral or, um, you know, academic failures, but just those students so that so they all have resources that are comparable to that of a Noblesville or that of an Alonzo High School, right? So then, um, as, as I got deeper into that conversation, she made me aware of something called Title IV. Uh, funds. Now, you know, this is something that you learn, but you don't really pay attention to it. And that money is specifically for academic enrichment in those types of programs. So it's really a matter of getting with your LEA or, you know, your school district and seeing what, what are they doing with those Title IV funds? Because those funds are specifically for academic enrichment i.e. after school programs or, you know, a college and career readiness program for students who are excelling. Rebecca, you want to chime in on that? Well, that's above my pay grade there. Um, I'm listening, and I mean, here in Canada, it's a bit different. Um, I'm not 100% sure. Um, Well, I do know. I I teach at a school, I think, maybe more similar to uh, Dawn's school in a suburban area. Mm. Uh, Not not that I haven't taught at more of an inner city school in my career. and we don't get a whole lot of funding uh, mm-hmm. and to, to help with anything because we have a 98% success rate in our academic courses. Wow. Yeah. Um, so that means... Wow, that's its own problem. Yeah. Yes, that means <laughs> that there isn't really a need to change. Yep. Um, so yeah, so we don't get a lot of funding for that. I know I, the school that I was at before was a more at-risk school, so we did get a lot more, and we did have the opportunity to do a lot more uh, professional development to um, mm-hmm. to really focus on those at-risk students, mm-hmm. uh, which was amazing. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I, I'm trying to kind of go back to Jamal. You said a lot there. Um, going back to um, when you were talking about sort of the classroom and the, the difference between when you're talking about the alternative programs, um, I'm definitely not talking about the the behavioral jail setting type mm-hmm. of program. Um, we don't have a whole lot of that as, as far as I know mm-hmm. uh, in our in our district, but more of it is uh, about the fact that they get kind of what Don was saying, you know, the, the opportunity to learn in a different way. Uh, like that online course that you were talking about. and mm-hmm. But see, I, I think that's where they converge. Uh, two, yeah. two things there. I, I mean, you know, some of the kids that just don't like sitting and getting, yes. they may have still decent grades, but the alternative, so if they are in trouble, it's good for them. And if they're not in trouble, but they're different, ty- you know, like the kid that goes, I'm going to punch you in the mouth, also giving it to them. Yeah. But like, But you guys just made this wonderful point that I want to focus in on. You guys are what I call the bookends. The bookends are the either high performing or the very low performing. Doing something different other than the way we've always done it are seen as a threat. So to the low, to the low performing, this like, are, are, you're going to give them more freedom. They're going to run around and act crazy. We're mm-hmm. not going to have any discipline. And they're already in trouble for not having discipline and classroom behavior. Then you have the, we're 98%. Why change anything? I think that's why I've seen the most change out of the middle. Like, yeah. like we've got to change something and, and yet at the same time won't take, or isn't too afraid to take the risk because for the most part, their students are behaved. So how, how do you, and actually I'm going to go back to, to whoever wants to go first, because this is, how do you crack that code on either end on the, we have tradition side, or you need to give the kids some freedom side. Um, well, yeah, I can go wreck a go. I can speak to that. Uh, it's it's really tough. Um, <clears throat> I think it's a lot of edu- education on the part of of the school and finding out that even though our students are doing well, um, for instance, I had a student last semester who is the tradition comes from the traditional East Indian family, uh, and he had two options. He was either going to be some type of medical. Um, in the medical profession, or he was going to be in business. So those were his two options. And he came into my class in grade 11. He's in grade 12 now. And, uh, and he was ready, you know, tell me what I got to do. Let me jump through the hoops. I'm going to get my 90. I'm going to get out of here. Uh, and I'm going to, you know, do what I'm supposed to do and get into university and, and, and go that route. Um, but being in my class in grade 11, I do, a, I do a week of sort of, we call it unlearning um, and trying to get them to wrap their heads around that we're going to do things a bit differently. And he struggled. Uh, and I know, Don, you talk about this a lot about that, that type of student. Um, but by the end of it, so by the end of it, he took three classes with me. He was with me for two different grade 12 classes this past uh, year. And, and he said, like, he, he had this revelation that you know, like, yes, I, I recognize what I need to do to get uh, into university and to, you know, appease my parents. And, and, to, and that was, he valued that up until our conversations and where he recognized that he really hadn't learned a whole lot. Um, and so it's that education piece. So even, even whether it be within, uh, with your staff, with, with the parents, you know, I had a parent teacher interview with his parents and they were just like, what are you even talking about? Like, where are the tests? 
how, what does he do to prepare for the exams? Give me a textbook so he can come home and read. Um, and I said, that's, we're not doing that. That's not happening. We're focusing on skills. We're focusing on uh, future readiness. We're focusing on, you know, all these different things. Um, but it's that education piece and getting people to, I guess, buy in, in a sense, and recognize that how it's always been is not necessarily benefiting, betting, benefiting the students. Yeah. I think, um, I think to chime in, you, you mentioned 21st century skills or you alluded to it, um, those, those skill sets. I think when you really look at a community in this totality, you talk about moving the middle um, because, you know, we do focus on the opposite ends of the spectrum and both really present, you know, challenges. Um, but when you look at, you know, moving that middle group, you really have to look at, you know, okay, so what, what is the, that community's middle group? Because, you can't create anything. Uh, we can't sit here and say, well, this is going to be good for all kids everywhere because you have different cultures, different backgrounds. Um, I was looking at a school, some school demographics, and I'm just weird. I, I do this from time to time just as I'm researching. And there was a school that had 82% free and reduced lunch, lunch right? Um, what, what kind of community do you think that was in? You would assume that it's a, a lower income. Lower income, okay. Um, what do you what do you think the, the the population of students are like? You know, black, white, you know, Spanish. Like, like, what do you think that population is? I feel like I'm being baited into a wrong answer. Okay. I know. It's okay. I don't. <laughs> okay. I don't want to okay. answer this. It's, it's okay. But go ahead. No, seriously. I, I'm gonna say. I thought it was a predominantly black school. Yeah, because on um, on paper and most of you listening, you probably are like, man, that's that's a predominantly black school. <laughs> Come to find out, no, it's a predominantly white school. Mm. It's almost like it's, I believe it was seventy three percent white and eighty two percent of those students. It was only thirteen percent black, right? So then you start you start going into that school and you're trying to do some of the same things that you would do in a school that's identical in free and reduced lunch but is 73% black. It's, it's completely different cultures. What I'm interested in, what I like to do, the skill sets that I need to know are, are different. So creating programs, you have to create programs that are aligned with the strengths and weaknesses of the community. Yeah. Uh, well, that, that, and also the community even starting to buy in and see. Rebecca and you have hit kind of on the, sometimes you need to educate the parents that this isn't crazy. You know, I, I, one time I was talking to Jeremy and her team, I said, you know, we need to do a better job of showing what a successful high school career looks like beyond academia. And I, I've said several times on the show, like my first job is because I volunteered to shadow someone several times. And that like internships, connecting with people, building a network. These are things that are quite honestly never talked about, um, but they're so, so important. And when the parents, when the parents see that just cramming for the SAT is the answer, um, then I think that we can like start <laughs> that dialogue. And then, because I, I think the parents are either our biggest detractors or, or people that push things forward is because if, if, if they think the, they think the way out of poverty or the way back to what they've always had is just rote memorization, they need to watch a Daniel Pink Ted talk or something. 
So, but but let me just play devil devil's advocate here. You you there is a absolute necessity for test taking every certification. If you want to own your own hair shop, if you want to run your own business and be a part of a sector, in most sectors it requires you to take a test. It requires you. It requires rote memorization. Um, I just took a test to get a VPK uh, director's credential. Um, with those of you who don't know, voluntary uh, pre-kindergarten. But everywhere, every sector that you want to break into, it requires a test. So then, you know, how do you tell a parent that systematically test and rote memorization is what society still looks for in all things? But then over here, we want them to be these free thinkers. Well, I still uh, a there are some certifications out there, true. But when you start looking at the skills-based economy. Um, and I think that those can blend. You know, like I, I'll start showing people press releases. Apple now is like, hey, if you're a developer, then, you know, show us your skills and we don't necessarily care about the degree. Uh, mm-hmm. So test-taking versus skills. I mean, you could say we well, have to pass a test to, you know, get your Microsoft certification or your Salesforce administrator's <laughs> license and things like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that those are based on skills, not necessarily just rote memorization. So yeah, you, you can't throw all the bathwater out, so mm-hmm. to speak. Uh, you, you have to know things and be able to transfer and show that you do. And sometimes that is a test. Um, but that, of course, opens up a broader, broader talk of, well, what are they being tested over? Stuff for the sake of stuff? Now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> Can I just, I just yeah. uh, to, to pipe in on that one as well, um, I, I had the opportunity to go and visit a, a middle school um, who the principal was doing really cool things with his building. And, uh, and a lot of it was the fact that the kids were no longer sitting, you know, in desks and they could work all over the school and, um, and they were going, you know, in grade seven and eight, and then they were going to go off to grade nine. And so my question to him was, okay, like I'm on board, I love it. But what happens when they go to grade nine, which I know for a fact that the majority of the classrooms, they're going to sit in desks, they're going to have to, you know, go back to kind of traditional and, you know, what, what happens then? And he, he said to me, and it has stuck with me, he said, if we wait for the next, you know, level or institution to make those changes, nothing's ever going to change. But if we put pressure on them and we send them kids who can't sit in desks and don't want to write tests, then, then things are going to change. So I would, you know, industry, yes, is asking for these tests. But again, if you watch, I think Simon Sinek, you know, talks about the fact that as employers, we need to recognize that these kids are coming without these, some skills so how do we how do we adapt? How do we make them be as successful as possible? Um, and then on the other hand, uh, I know for me, if I had to take a test on something that I was really passionate about, then I'd figure out how to take that test. Whereas going back to what Don was saying, like, are we just testing them because that's how we how it's done on stuff that they really don't care about? Then the test taking is just is pointless. But if, if you really like when you get out into the real world and I shouldn't say real world cause they're in the real world, but mm-hmm. when you get out into your adult life and you have to get these certifications, you know, as a teacher, if I want to be certified in something, cause this is what I love doing and it's going to get mm-hmm. me to where I need it to go. I'm going to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, well, I'm about ready to wrap it up because uh, this has been a great conversation, but I, I, I want to leave with one thing. I want to get your, your guys' take on this. <clears throat> um, 
when you try to offer the, uh, so Rebecca, you started off, like some kids were like, hey, the rumor is your class is kind of like an alternative. Mm-hmm. And Jamal, when you're at the middle school, <clears throat> same thing. Like the rumor got out that it was fun, engaging. You got to do things you normally don't do. How hard is it for those teachers to take that risk? Is it is it isolating within your own room or with your own school? Is it supported? I, I know that in, 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 in the talks I've had with people, it is a giant risk on how you're perceived at the school. What did you guys find? I think that that could be a whole other conversation, but um, I 100% think it's it's a risk. Um, I, I personally have been doing this, you know, kind of on this journey for about five years. I'm slowly finding people who are interested and curious in what I'm doing, but I, 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 I feel alone a lot. I, I have support from my principal and from, yeah. uh, you know, the superintendent and that's amazing. But when you're, when you walk down the halls in your school and you don't necessarily feel comfortable, that's not, that's not fun either, but but it's worth it. Yeah. I had a a much different experience. Um, What I did was I developed a site team and I started to pull people in. And as I pulled people in, I would ask them to, you know, to work collaboratively with me and I would show them how what I was doing in my class actually benefited their class. So for example, um, our school was a school of technology. So, you know, my class adopted that and all the things that we were doing. And, you know, as kids got to explore technology in my classroom, when they went into their classrooms, they were almost like, you know, tech experts. Like I taught them how to do things, you know, that would really be a benefit to those teachers. So then that teacher who really didn't know how to put it together, that that student would come up as a representative from my class and, you know, as, you know, someone who's in that teacher's class and they would, you know, help that teacher out. Um, Long story short, I really pulled people in slowly. I said, hey, do you want to help me with this? Do you want to do this? We would meet, you know, I'd buy them food. I'd, you know, you you get people's, you know, consent and buy-in and then you educate them. And once they're educated and they see the benefit, then you will, you know, you'll have a community around those students because the focus is always the students and there's a lot of good in what you do. You just have to get people to see the good in what you do. And that made that risk for me much more palatable. I wouldn't say I was liked, but it was, it was a lot more fun when you have friends. Yeah. I like that. I I agree too, uh, with both of you guys and and Rebecca, you're like, this could be its own show. Maybe that we will have to do a follow-up because it it is, I think that there's a lot of like support therapy that needs to come out there that I always remember Jamal. I don't think you were born yet, but there was this movie called, uh, Mr. Mom with my, with Michael Keaton. And I always remember when he became a dad and he was the stay at home dad and he had to drive his daughter to school and he was going the wrong way. And when you go the wrong way, it infuriates people so bad. And sometimes I think that the teachers that are out there kind of doing it a little bit and they're, they're deliberately not doing the, the rest, the, the rest, desk and rows, then people like start screaming, you're doing it the wrong way. And mm-hmm. uh, that can be lonely and isolating. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. well, Rebecca, um, I, you've got so much to share and you've done so many cool things in your class. Uh, we've just barely uncovered the service. Tell people where they can, you know, find some of your stuff uh, and connect with you. 
So uh, I post most of the stuff that my students and I are doing uh, through Twitter. So I'm at Mrs. R. Chambers. And uh, I also write a blog um, called Unlearn With Us that captures sort of our journey as a, as a group on sort of doing things a little bit differently. And I'm currently in the process uh, of creating an online course for teachers because I often guess, get asked how. Like, I love what you're doing, but how do you even start? Um, so that's, uh, that's in the works. So if anyone's interested, you can watch on Twitter. I'll put that out there. Very good. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, we do this now pretty frequently. Jamal and I love having conversations between Jamal and I, but we also like bringing on some people here and there. So if you think that you know of a future guest, let us know. You can either hit uh, Jamal and I up individually on Twitter. You can leave a comment on the podcast itself, or you can also use LinkedIn. If you are just now joining our show, I don't know. There's a link below, right? Right, Jamal? Oh, yeah. Always. <laughs> oh, very good. Uh, but we do enjoy you guys sharing it, and that's how we grow, so we appreciate that. So, Rebecca, thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much for having me. And Jamal, as always, it's always fun. So this is Don Electric. I'm writing you. There's opportunities everywhere. We'll see you.